since the new year has started, I've really been enjoying the, the topic that I've been sharing. And, and I, I'm going to um, have Kent put it in a little mini-series on our website, so all five teachings are together. But the gist of the teachings are knowing God more. Because when we know him more, when we know him personally, that's what leads to faith. That's what leads to trust. That what leads to receiving from God. So we started out at the beginning of the year, I taught on the yada factor, which I love that, that word, and I'm not going to reteach it, but basically it's a word that means personally knowing God, relationship with God, growing to know him more in a very familiar way, not just knowing about him, but knowing him. The week after that, I, I posed a question. I said, is Jesus your Savior and your Lord? Because there are many of us, many people, I'm not even going to say us, because I don't think this refers to any of us, but there are many people who have received Jesus as their Savior. They know they need a Savior. They know they need a forgiver. They know they need redemption from hell so that when they die, they can be in heaven. Many people know that, and they've accepted and they've received Jesus as their Savior. But they haven't received him as Lord. They haven't given him lordship. They haven't let him be in control over every facet of their lives. And that's where you're going to find the benefits of eternal life, not just in salvation. Salvation is awesome. Praise you, God. But there's so much more. And until we put ourselves in the hand of God, he's not going to be able to create a masterpiece with our lives. So I talked about the importance of letting him be Lord, not just Savior, but also Lord. Then I shared that beautiful scripture passage, Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 through 8, with all of the nuggets, many, many nuggets, not just nuggets of, of affirmation, I love those, not just promises, but also directions. And for me, some corrections. And I really shared about some of those. Not leaning on your own understanding. Not being wise in your own eyes. Fearing God more than you fear man. And there are some other ones in there too. But they lead to those promises. They lead to the fullness of life. And then last week I zeroed right in on fear of the Lord. Wanting and choosing to trust God more than you trust anything else. You want to please him more than man. You want to please him more than people. So we talked about fear of the Lord, and that leads me to this teaching tonight. And it's entitled, God's View of Sickness and Health. How does God see it? How does God view sickness? I believe that some of the things I'm going to share tonight may be things you've never heard before. We're going to talk about how God sees sickness because we need to see it as he sees it in order to know his will, in order to pray his will. We need to know how God sees sickness and what he thinks of health and healing. So that's going to be our topic tonight, and that's going to round out this whole, this whole set of teachings. So I remember when I was first saved 20 years ago, my 20th birthday is Saturday of my salvation. Yay, 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 yay. Did you know I was only 20? <laughs> uh, anyway, um, this is how I, I recognize my salvation. You know, some of us, we pray that prayer. 
with our heart. We say, Jesus, I need you. I want you. I need a savior. I give you my life. I give you my heart. I invite you into my life. We pray that prayer and then we say, did it work? (laughs) But this is how I knew it worked. This was the evidence of my salvation. I started to see prayers answered. I I was, I'm not going to tell you how old I was because now you're going to add on 20. I don't care. I don't care. I am very, very thrilled. I am 63 years young. Amen. Amen. The point is, I started to see prayers answered for the first time in my life. And that many of them were, were tiny things. I love it when God answers those tiny things. Or sometimes I didn't even pray it. But God did something. He set it up. He ordained my path. He opened a door or he closed a door. And what did I do? I had my eyes open for the first time. I never had my eyes open before to see, to notice. But all of a sudden, I was developing this relationship with God, and my eyes were open. And I started to see the goodness of God in my life. And it has never stopped. That's why I can sing this song, or a song like that, with absolute heart and fervency, God, I believe you. You're too good to not believe. And then when we got to the part of that worship song when we were saying, I've seen cancers disappear. I've seen prodigal sons return. I've seen addicts be turned around. I've seen mental health healed. I've seen them all. I have. I could give you testimonies for every one of those. God's too good to not believe. So because I've seen that, because I've experienced it, I know it's true. I know he's faithful to his word. And so I believe it for you, Heather. I believe it for you, or Hannah. I believe it for you, Shelby. I believe it for you, Norbert. It doesn't matter if you're two or 82. The word is God's word for us. So I get excited. This is going to be a good message tonight. I know it. I sense the Holy Spirit stirring. I shared the same word last night. And oh my goodness. I just felt the stirring in me, so I'm excited. Now, what I'm going to share tonight has both sides of the story. So I'm going to share some, um, some worldview or religious views of sickness and health and healing, and I'm going to share God's view because you're going to see that they're not always consistent, and that's where there's a problem because many of us have gone to churches or had people that we love and respect who've told us things that aren't true. And because we look up to the person, we believe it's true. But I want to know what God says, not what the person says, or not even what the theology says, if it doesn't agree with God. So the first statement I'm going to make is one of those wrong theologies. I don't believe I put this on your paper. I'm just going to introduce this, and then we're going to get to those eight things, those eight views that are on your paper. I will say today there aren't going to be any scriptures on the overhead because we forgot that memory stick. So um, they're all noted, though, on your sheet, and I have them on mine, so also my Bible, and also my glasses. So I'm ready. We're going. We're going to read these scriptures and let it penetrate into our heart. But here's the first wrong theology. Many people believe that God gives or allows sickness as a tool to teach us to perfect us, or to discipline us for our own good. And people, even religions, have created theologies to literally accommodate sickness and even premature death. 
It's a convenient theology. It's easier than taking a stand and saying no to sickness, getting angry at sickness. It's easier, but it's not right. It's not biblically based. Sickness is evil. Sickness is an enemy that must be defeated. I'm going to share you all of this in scripture in just a minute. And when we know, I made this statement last week, when we know God's will and that it is his irrevocable will to heal and to, and to bring us health and wholeness, when we know that, and when we know that sickness is evil, then our perspective will change. And when we view sickness the way God views it, it's going to stir up a holy anger. We need more of that in the Christian world. We have become really complacent and, and made peace and, and been too, a little bit too easygoing about the evil that's in the world, the evil that's in Christian bodies. We need to be angry at what makes God angry. And we need to have a lack of tolerance for sickness and disease. We've got to stop tolerating it. I posed this question last week, and I'm going to pose it again. I'm just going to put it out there to start. And that is, have you made peace with any sickness or any pain? Have you kind of accepted it and said, you know what, I can live with that? If you have, first of all, you're going to live with it. You're not going to receive healing if you've accepted it, if you've received it, if you've made peace with it. And you need to know that it's evil. You've accepted, you've made peace with something that God calls evil. I don't know about you, but I love God. And I don't want to be in disagreement with him. And if you're accepting sickness, you are disagreeing with God. Last year, I, last week, I told you the analogy of the snake, and I'm going to repeat it because it's worth repeating. It's a Barry Bennett analogy. I'm going to give him credit for it, but I'm going to share it. So his analogy is, if there's a snake in the room, if there's a poisonous snake in the room, are you going to let it stay? If there's a poisonous snake in your house, are you going to make it a pet? Are you going to feed it, make peace with it, welcome it as a guest? No. Are you even going to get on your knees and say, God, if it be your will, remove that poisonous snake from my house? No. You're going to kill that snake because the potential is it there for it to hurt you or your children or your grandchildren or your husband. And if there's a poisonous snake, you're not going to take time to do any of that. You're going to kill that snake or you're at least going to get it out of the house in some way or fashion. But that's what we're doing with sickness. We are accommodating it. We are making peace with it. We are, we are kind of making it at home in our house. We need to be the same way with that snake in the house. We need to be the same way with sickness as we are with that snake in the house. We need to be just as fully persuaded that sickness is an enemy that must be defeated. The other question I asked last week, or the other statement I made, is that it is impossible, listen to this, it is impossible to defeat what has become a pet instead of an enemy. 
It is impossible to defeat or overcome what has become a pet instead of an enemy. That snake, if it's a pet, you're in trouble. It's deadly, and it's in your house. And if you accommodate sickness and make it a pet, you're not going to overcome it. You're not going to defeat it. So the reason I'm sharing this message tonight is to make it really clear what those pets are, what I'm calling them skeletons that are hidden. We're going to pull them out of the closet, and we're going to get rid of them. Those lies, those pets, those things that we have unknowingly accepted, because it sounds kind of religious, sounds kind of good, sounds maybe even a little bit righteous or holy, but it isn't. It is a lie from the pit of hell. It is a demonic deception. So the purpose tonight is to reveal God's truth by showing you what the Bible says, to show you the difference between what the world says and what some religious statements say and what the Bible actually says, what God actually says, what God's view is of sickness and disease. And I want to just stop for a moment and pray. Father, I pray for um, uh, when that knowing, when that truth about what you think, what your view is of sickness, may it come into our hearts in such a way that we literally take a stand and refuse to tolerate what is evil in our lives, in our families, in our relationships, in our homes, or in our bodies. May we learn and grow to fervently love what you love and to fervently hate what you hate. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. The word hate. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yes. You. If it's not from him, it's not for you. And what happens, I believe, Lisa, I'm glad you brought that up, because I think what happens a lot is it's, we start to receive little things. We start to make a pet or accept those little things. It's not that big of a deal. I can live with this. And, and then when there's something that is imp- like life or death, we haven't set our heart in a position to say no to that evil. So instead of, instead of gradually building yourself up in your most holy faith in the area of loving what God loves and hating what he hates, you're all of a sudden at this, this huge impasse where it's life and death. But it doesn't matter. That's where I started. God meets you where you're at. He meets you where your needs are. But I also want to rewind And even in my season of life, and say, God, I don't want to accept anything that you don't want me to accept. Because sometimes we can become complacent. Okay, eight truths I'm going to share with you. Here's the first one. Sickness is never a blessing. Every sickness is a curse. Every degree of sickness is a curse. Now, we're not going to, of course, read all of chapter 28 of Deuteronomy, but I'm going to point you to it, and I'm going to refer to it. Deuteronomy 28 is um, a a recap of the law of Moses. And in this chapter, the first 14 verses are blessings that are a result of obedience. So there are blessings 
for obedience, and there are curses for disobedience or sin. But let's go back to the first 14 verses, the blessings for obedience. In those 14 verses, there are blessing after blessing after blessing after blessing after blessing listed. But I'll tell you what is not in that list of blessings. Sickness. There is not one sickness that is in that list of blessings because sickness is never a blessing. But in Deuteronomy 28, starting with verse 15 and going all the way to the end, I believe, 60-some, it's a lot of verses, 68, is curse after curse after curse after curse after curse. Curses that were a result of sin or disobedience to the law. I'm going to read you. I didn't, I'm not going to read you all of it because it would take too long. But here are some of the, the things that were in those curses. Consumption, fever, inflammation, Boils, tumors, the scab, the itch, madness, blindness, confusion of heart, great and prolonged plagues, serious and prolonged sicknesses. A lot of sicknesses under the curse. In fact, I think every sickness known to mankind is somewhere in those, those curses. But here is some really, really, really good news. We've been redeemed from the curse of the law. The word redeemed means we've been rescued. It means that the price was paid for that, that curse to be reversed. Jesus paid the price when he healed us of the sin nature, when he removed sin from us, when sin was destroyed in the believer's life. The curse is no longer effective. It means, that word redeemed means our our freedom was purchased. We are free from sin. We're free from the judgment of sin. The price for sin was death. That has been paid. Yes, our physical bodies will die, but we are eternally alive. Once you've received Jesus, eternal life is yours. From now until the forever, there's no end of time. Forever, eternal Zoe, eternal God's fullness of life. So the judgment of sin was destroyed. The power of sin was taken by Jesus. The power of sin. Sin has no more power over us. And thirdly, the effects of sin were under the curse. The effects of sin. There's no more effects because the curse has been reversed. We're no longer under the curse. Jesus redeemed us from the curse. The effects of sin was the curse. Remember, the, the disobedience resulted in the curse. But once sin was paid for, the curse was no longer effective. We've been redeemed. Now I'm going to read you the scripture. It's in, it's in your, um, oh, God bless you, honey. You're awesome. Galatians 3.13. It's little, but it's there. Um, but Christ has redeemed us from the curse pronounced by the law. When he was hung on the cross, Jesus took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoing. For it is written in the scriptures, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. He redeemed us from the curse. That's scripture. This is the way I love to meditate on it. Jesus became the curse for us to remove the curse from us. 
So all of those sicknesses that were a result of disobedience, we've been redeemed from. So I need to talk about another point, and that is that we've been redeemed from sickness. If sickness is, if we're no longer under the curse of the law, why is there so much sickness, first of all? Well, we still live in a fallen world. The enemy, we're gonna, this is going to be our topic starting next week for probably six weeks. We're going to talk about lots of stuff to do with that. But the bottom line is the enemy has been defeated by Jesus, but he hasn't been destroyed. We still live in a fallen world. So there is still sickness. But as believers, we've been redeemed from the power of that. Jesus has made the way for us to receive the rescue, receive the fullness of redemption, including healing. And one of my scriptures that I love, this one just came alive to me last year. It's Romans 8, 28. And the scripture says, we know with great confidence that God, who is deeply concerned about us, listen to this, he causes all things to work together as a plan for good for those who love God and to those who are called according to his plan and purpose. So what does this mean? It means that God does not give sickness. We're going to talk about that in point two, three, four, five, six, seven, and 8 tonight. He doesn't give it. It's not a gift. It's not from him. But he will take you as a believer, a woman or a man of faith, and he will turn it around. What the enemy intended for destruction, he will turn around for good. That is for those who are called according to his purpose. And that's any child of God. We are called. And he has a purpose for us. He has gifts in every one of you, treasures in every one of you. And he will take that thing that the enemy intended and he'll turn it around for good. That's what you see standing right here, guys. The enemy attacked me more, than, more times than I care to say. But every time God has used it in a powerful way for good, Enemy, I keep telling him this, you're messing with the wrong lady. Amen. Amen. So, but here's one of those worldly sayings that is very, very damaging. People often say that as a result of some terrible ordeal or sickness or suffering, they feel stronger, they know God better, or they had a change of heart about something important. Now, I'm going to stop right there and say, that's very true. That happens a lot. That happened to me last year. But then they say, see what good came out of this? It must have been from God. That's where the mistake is, and it's a big mistake. What has happened is they mistake the outcome for the origin. And they think because the outcome is good, that the origin must also be good. But that's not the case. The origin was from the devil. The origin is evil. Sickness is evil. Cancer is never good. Pain is never good. Inflammation, joint pain, heart disease is never good. But God can take those things. And when you're in relationship with him, he can turn them around and bring good out of a very bad situation. Maybe the outcome is good because God 
came to the rescue because your faith and your agreement with God caused it all to turn around for good. Amen. So number one, sickness is never a blessing. Number two, sickness is the oppression of the devil. Let's look at Acts 10, 38. God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. And then Jesus went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. So what did Jesus do when he walked on this earth? He healed. He did a lot of other things too. But he healed. And why did he have to heal? Because people were oppressed by the devil. That's what the, the root, the cause of the, the need was. Now, there's not, that's not the only thing. We're going to talk more about that next week. But that's one reason why people are sick. That's not the only reason. That doesn't mean that there's something demonic. That does not what it means. But it is evil. It's not of God. That much is always the case. But Jesus healed those who were oppressed by the devil. So let's talk, what is that? What does that mean? That word oppressed means a cruel or an unjust power, exercise of authority or power. And the reason that it's unjust, we know it's cruel, but the reason it's unjust is because he has no legal right. If you're a child of God, he's been stripped of his dominion over you. The only power he has is the power that we give him, usually through buying his lies. We're going to talk a lot more about that when we talk about um, our authority over the demonic in the next few weeks. The enemy has no legal access, but we many people don't know that. And so they give way to the enemy to have this oppression, this illegal, this cruel, illegal, unjust authority over you when he shouldn't have any. Here's some more good news. Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. This is 1 John 3, 8. Jesus, I love, there's several scriptures in the Bible that talk about why Jesus was manifested. They talk about his purpose as Messiah. And this is one of those verses. The purpose, I'm going to read the second half. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. And that word works is his business or purpose. Jesus came to destroy the enemy's purpose, the enemy's business, the enemy's work. Jesus came to destroy it. And he didn't just attempt. He finalized it. He did it. He stripped the enemy. He defeated him. He disarmed him. It says in Colossians, I believe it's chapter 2, he says that the enemy, the principalities, the, the devil was disarmed and made a public spectacle of. He was completely stripped of his power. And then he was led around in a procession of triumph by Jesus. Amen. So sickness is oppression of the devil. It's not from God. Number three, sickness is the purpose of Satan manifested. Healing and health is the purpose of Jesus manifested. Manifested means is coming into um, um, the, the, the physical realm. 
this, this scripture is so simple to me, but I live with the scripture. I believe the scripture with all my heart, literally. And this scripture says that the thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. And Jesus said, my purpose is to give them a rich and a satisfying life. So this is so simple to me. I literally draw a line in the sand and it's black or white. There's no gray. The black is the thief and his purpose, stealing, killing, and destroying. That's sickness. The enemy's trying to steal from you. The enemy's trying to kill or to destroy. And I'm not necessarily in the physical realm. It could be in your finances. It could be in your families. It could be in your marriage. But the thief wants to steal, kill, and destroy in any way, shape, or form. And you know the weird thing? They didn't care about you. They're just nothing to him. He cares about God. He knows the only way that he can really hurt God is to hurt his kids. The only way he can destroy the kingdom is through his kids. He certainly can't. God is can't even begin to touch the power and the presence of God, but he can try to deceive us. And that's what the thief does. Sickness is on that side of the line. But Jesus said, I came to give a life, a satisfying, a rich and a satisfying life. So the bottom line is, if it's good, it's God. And if it's bad, it's the devil. And there's no gray area. In my heart, there's no gray area. Never, never, never is sickness a gray area. It's bad. That's all there is to it. It's evil. It's from the enemy. Sickness results from the thief's stealing, killing, and destroying. But a rich and a satisfying life, I don't know about you, but it includes healing and health. I've lived in both sides of, the, both sides of that. I've lived in sickness, and I've lived in health, health and healing. And I can tell you, health and healing is rich and satisfying. And pain and sickness isn't. <clears throat> Number four, sickness is bondage. Sickness is bondage. But Jesus came to release us from the bondage of sickness. I love this scripture. This is an account from Luke chapter 13 of a woman who was bound by a spirit of infirmity. She was in bondage for 18 years this spirit of infirmity had caused her to be bent right over, and she had been like that for 18 years. Do you remember the, the video I showed you at Christmas time, if you were here, the woman named Emma? And she was, she was like this. She was completely bent over, and her, she was lived in constant pain. God healed her, too. Jesus released her from bondage, too. But let's read this account. And behold, there was a woman who had a spirit of infirmity for 18 years and was bent over and could in no way raise herself up. I want to define the words spirit and infirmity. In the, the um, concordance, that word spirit means a demonic evil spirit. Now, not all sicknesses have a demonic spirit as the core, but this one did and Jesus knew it. He had he had, the Holy Spirit gave him that knowing, that discernment. And it was a spirit of infirmity. The word infirmity means a weakness, frailty, feebleness of health, sickness of body or soul. So an infirmity can be a demonic spirit. And in this case, that's what it was. 
but listen to our amazing Savior. But when Jesus saw her, he called her to him and said to her, Woman, you are loosed from your infirmity. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. So Jesus loosed her. He freed her. He broke off that bondage. But here comes the ruler of the synagogue. And he answered with indignation because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. And this is what he said to the crowd. There are six days on which men ought to work. Therefore, come and be healed on them, not on a Sabbath day. Here Jesus was healing somebody who had been bound for 18 years. And the religious people are condemning him. They are saying he was wrong. They are calling something that was very, very good. They're calling good evil. The Lord then answered them and said, hypocrites. Jesus was mad. He had a holy anger. Remember, we're talking about being mad at what makes the Lord mad. And he was angry. He said, hypocrite. Does not each one of you on the Sabbath lose his donkey or ox from the stall and lead it away to water it? So ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has bound, think of it, for 18 years, Shouldn't she be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath? So Jesus had seen this woman who was bound with sickness, and he released her. I want you to take note of how Jesus reacted to the religious people when they were calling something very good evil. He, didn't, he wasn't quiet and gentle and compassionate. He said, no. He said, wouldn't any of you take your animal and loose it from the bondage of thirst and take it and get a drink, wouldn't you do that on Sabbath day? How much more this woman who has been bound for 18 years, how much more should she be loosed on a Sabbath? It doesn't matter whether it's a Sabbath or whether it's any day. It's always the day to be loosed from bondage in the heart of God. That shows us the view of God towards bondage the view of God towards sickness, the view of God towards being um, in bondage to a, a, a spirit of infirmity or any other sickness. It shows us God's heart. He doesn't want us to be in bondage. Sickness can be bondage. It can keep you from doing what you love to do. It can, it can slow you down. It can, it can uh, hinder you in your finances and your heart and your emotions. It can hold you in bondage in all sorts of areas. But Jesus said no to it. That's God's view. Jesus is the perfect picture of the heart of the Father. He shows us the nature of God. We see God's view of sickness and bondage right there in that parable. Or in that, it's not a parable, in that account of what happened when Jesus walked on this earth. The next one is also a biblical account that shows us God's view. Sickness is evil and it kills. But God's will is to do good and to heal. This is Mark chapter 3. Jesus entered into a synagogue again, and a man was there who had a withered hand. So they watched this man closely. They, I'm sorry, they watched Jesus closely, whether he would heal that man on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. And Jesus said to the man who had the withered hand, step forward. Then he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life 
or to kill. But they all kept silent. So before we go on, look at what Jesus did. He, he showed a comparison. He said, okay, it's the Sabbath. It's the Sabbath. It's the day when they came to worship God. Yes, the Sabbath was a day of rest. But it was also a day to revere God, to worship God, to go and hear the word of God to, in this day and age, in that culture, to hear the rabbi open the scroll, read it, teach from it. And, and Jesus said, okay, it's the Sabbath. It is the Lord's day. Is it better to do good or to do evil? Is it better to heal or to kill? And the religious people were silent. That's about as crazy as you get. Of course it's good. It's better to do good and to heal than it is to do bad and to kill. And then Jesus, to prove his point, looked around at them with anger and grieved. He was grieved by the hardness of their hearts. And he said to that man, stretch out your hand. And that man stretched it out, and his hand was restored as whole as the other. Again, look at Jesus' response. Remember at the beginning of this meeting, I said, if there's a snake in the room, we need to kill it. That's what Jesus was doing. He was refusing. He wasn't tolerating sickness. He didn't care what the religious people said. He didn't care what their opinion was of healing on the Sabbath. In fact, it angered him. It grieved him. Why did it grieve him? Because his heart of compassion was poured out to that man who had the withered hand. This morning, I was praying with my prayer partner, and um, we're praying for a young man in his early 20s who's having brain surgery today. And this young man has had a lot of um, physical and social and emotional issues his whole life because he has deformed hands. And so as my friend asked for prayer for this brain surgery today, I went to this scripture. And I said, this is God's will to heal everything. His hands, his heart, he's been ridiculed, he's been teased, he's been bullied. To heal his, his soul, to heal his brain, to heal everything about him. God wants us well. And here Jesus was grieved with this man. His heart was breaking. And he showed us God's view. He showed us God's view by healing him. That's what God's view is. Last week I read with you Isaiah 5.20. This is God's view. Woe, judgment is coming to those who call evil good and good evil. That's what the religious people were doing. They were calling good evil because Jesus healed on the Sabbath. Woe to those who substitute darkness for light and light for darkness. When you say that sickness is a blessing, sickness is dark, sickness is evil. And when you say sickness is a gift or sickness is a blessing, you're calling something very dark, light. And God says, woe to him who calls darkness light or light dark, or who calls bitter sweet or sweet bitter. And that leads me to number six. Sickness is not a gift. 
God only gives good gifts. God is a good father. He doesn't give sickness as a gift. God's gifts are all good and perfect. In James 1.17, every gift, every gift, not just some gifts, every gift God freely gives us is good and perfect. Streaming down from the Father of lights, who shines from the heavens with no hidden shadow or darkness and is never subject to change. I think it's important that we look at the second part of that verse because there's no variation. There's no shadow of turning. There's no um, uh, ulterior motives in God. He is good. He is love. He is caring. He is compassionate. He only gives good gifts. And we're going to talk in a minute about another one of those worldly lies about sickness being a gift. And when we hear that, or when somebody speaks that to us, it's as if they're saying, well, there's, God is good, but there's this underlying motive that God has to give sickness. That's not the truth, because there's no underlying motive. There's no variation. There's no shadow of turning. No, no, no. God's character is good, only good, and always good. Listen to this scripture, Matthew 7, verses 9 through 11. I love this one. This is so, so pure and simple. And if you're a mom or a dad, it just resonates with your heart or it does with mine. I'm going to read it from um, the Passion. Do you know any of any? I'm sorry. I guess I can read it. Do you know of any parent who would give his hungry child who asked for food a plate of rocks instead? Or when he asked for a piece of fish, what parent would offer his child a snake instead? I'm going to add my own verse in the middle. What parent would give their child cancer? What parent would put pain upon their child? No way. We love our children, and there's no way that we would harm them. And then Jesus says, if you, imperfect as you are, know how to lovingly take care of your children and give them what's best, how much more ready is your heavenly Father to give wonderful gifts to those who ask him? I love this scripture because Jesus is teaching. Jesus is speaking. And he says, Parents, you wouldn't give your kids something that was bad. If they ask for bread, you're not going to give them rocks. If they ask for fish, you're not going to give them a snake. You're not going to give them poison. How much more? How much more will our perfect father, because we're imperfect, how much more will our perfect father give good gifts to those who ask him? He's not going to give bad gifts. He's not going to give sickness. Now let me read the world's or the religious view. Sometimes people embrace sickness and disease as gifts from God. They believe that it's in their life, that they believe that it's a trial in their life, and it's something God is attempting. I'm sorry, I'm going to put my glasses on. I'm messing it all up. Sometimes people embrace sickness and disease as gifts from God. They believe that a trial in their life is something that God is allowing to teach them or to grow them 
or something that will be used for a greater good. Here's the truth. It's, that's a lie. Here's the truth. If they're receiving sickness as a gift, it's blasphemy. Let me tell you why. They're attributing to God something that is of the enemy. Sickness is evil. Sickness is of the enemy. And if you're accepting it as a gift, if you're saying, if you're embracing it as a gift, then you're being blasphemous because you're attributing to God something that is of the devil. That's blasphemy. And I've heard many people say this. They embrace it as some sort of a gift from God and that it is, and that it is, um, they're going to, they're going to rise up. And I'm not saying you can't be strong and you can't be a light in your journey, but you can do that praising God. You can do that believing God for your healing in the midst and not embracing the sickness. They are denying God's true nature when they do that. Did you ever see Jesus give sickness as a gift? No. And Jesus is the perfect representation of his father. Amen. Here's the next one, number seven. God is not given to us by God to teach us or to perfect us or to discipline us. This is a big one in the world. Sickness is not given to us to teach us something. I'll never forget when I was diagnosed with stage four cancer the first time and I was in a Bible study. Same girl that I pray with every day now. She's grown a lot, 20 years. Same girl. We were sitting at that table and my friend Jenny that led me to the Lord said, I don't even know why she asked this question because it was a heavy question. I'm sitting there with stage four cancer and she said, why? Jenny asked the why question. And my friend Karen said, God's trying to teach Cindy something. That was a kick in the gut. Now, did I learn a lot? Yeah. But God didn't give me sickness for that purpose. No. So God does not give us sickness to teach us or perfect us or discipline us. He gives us the word to teach us and perfect us and to correct us. And he gives us the Holy Spirit, the word and the Holy Spirit. He doesn't give us sickness for that purpose. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. The word corrects us when we're wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to perfect us and to do every good work. That's how God teaches us. That's how he corrects us. That's how he um, perfects us. The word correction in the scripture is only used one time in the Bible, and this is what it means. It means restoration to right state. Improvement in life or character. That's what it means to be corrected in the scripture. I think back to this past year, and just in this past year, God has... Over the past 20 years, I can't even tell you how many examples I could give you. But there's so many times when he has used his word to teach me, to grow me. Remember last year, I, last week, I taught about fear of the Lord. That was a big one because fear of man has been something I've dealt with. Being concerned about what people think. Not, not wanting to step out of my comfort zone. All of that stuff that has to do with fear of man. So... Fear of man was one he taught me last year. 
Don't be wise in your own eyes, Cindy. He, that came up in scripture all over the place. What was God doing? He was teaching me, he was correcting me, he was perfecting me with his word. Not with sickness. James 1, verses 12 through 13. I wish this could be up on the screen. Because in the scripture that I'm going to read, there is one Greek word used four times. But it's not, it's not underlined. And, and I, you, you'll be able to see most of them. But in the version I have, the word tempt, tempted, testing, tempting, it's used four times in this verse. And it's always the same Greek word. It's the word perazzo, P-E-I-R-A-Z-O. It means to try, to make trial of, to test for the purpose of, of ascertaining the person's faith or virtue or character. So we're going to read a scripture about being tested. But here's where I want to go before I even read the scripture. Sickness is not testing from God. It isn't given from God as a test. Sickness is not given by God to us as a test. But it does test us. It does test our faith. Most of the time, it's probably from the enemy. Some of the time, it might just be from um, consequences of life and the way that you've lived and the choices you made. But it is not from God. However, God does use those situations, and you do, your faith is tested. Your, your um, strength, your, your virtue, it's tested in the middle of a, of a situation. And that's what we're going to read right now. Listen to this. If your faith remains strong, even while surrounded by life's difficulties, you will continue to experience the untold blessings of God. Even in the situation, if your faith remains strong, you will experience the untold blessings of God. True happiness comes as you pass the test with faith and receive the victorious crown of life promised to every lover of God. Listen to this. But when you are tempted or tested, that's all the same word. When you're in those situations, don't ever say, God is testing me, or God is tempting me. For God is incapable of being tempted by evil, and he is never the source of that temptation or that testing. God is not the source. But the bottom line is, it says in the scripture that you will, um, um, uh, true happiness comes as you pass that test with faith and you have the victorious crown of life. That crown of life in the natural is, or in the, the literal sense, is that crown that you see in the, in the Olympian days, the, the history, historical Olympian days, that wreath that they wore as victors. And that victorious crown in the spiritual sense is our eternal blessedness, our eternal life that we have with Jesus. So God does not give sickness as a gift. He does not allow sickness. Did you hear that? He does not even allow it. But he does give us a free will. He does give us a free will to allow it. But he's given us authority and power. That's what we're going to be talking about next week. 
He's given us authority and power and all that we need to take a stand and to enforce what has already been defeated through Jesus. Amen. Here's another word in the Bible, and it's the word discipline. We're talking about the truth that God doesn't give us sickness to test us, to teach us, or to discipline us. We're going to read a scripture in the book of Hebrews about discipline. But I want to define that word discipline according to the, the, the root word, the Greek word. And I think I put this in your notes, but this is what it means. Discipline means the whole training and education of children, cultivating or nurturing the soul. The soul is your inner person, your mind, your will, and your emotions. Correcting mistakes and curbing passions and instruction, which aims at increasing virtue. That's what discipline means in this biblical account. That's good. Think about yourself as parents. You know that as a parent, you need to, to, to have these, these discipline um, traits in your parenting for your children to grow up to be strong and virtuous and healthy and, and excellent adults. And if you don't have those, those things like the whole training and education of your children, cultivating, nurturing them, um, correcting their mistakes and curbing their passions and instructing them, in ways that increase their virtue. If you don't do that, the result may not be good as your children grow older and older. So let's look at God and us as his children. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 5 through 11. And have you forgotten the encouraging words that God spoke to you as his children? These are encouraging words, guys. He said, my child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline and don't give up when he corrects you. For the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes each one he accepts as his child. As you endure this divine discipline, remember that God is treating you as his own children. Whoever heard of a child who's never disciplined by his father? If God doesn't discipline you as he does all of his children, it means that you are illegitimate and are not really his children at all. Since we respected our earthly fathers who disciplined us, shouldn't we submit even more to the discipline of the father of our spirits and live forever? If our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years, doing the best they knew how, I'm sorry, for our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years, doing the best they knew how. But God's discipline is always good for us so that we might share in his holiness. No discipline is enjoyable while it's happening. It's painful. But afterward, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. So yes, God does discipline us with love, nurturing, building up our virtues. And he does not do it with sickness. He does it with his word with the Holy Spirit and with the compassion of, of taking care of us in the midst of whatever we're going through. And that leads me to the last one, number eight. Sickness is not given as a discipline because of your unworthiness. We are worthy. If you're a child, you're worthy. We talked a little bit about this last week. You might not feel worthy. You might not act worthy. But if you're a child of God, you have been completely washed as white as snow through the blood of Jesus. God sees 
us through the blood. He sees us through the, the, the sacrifice of Jesus. We've been perfected because of Jesus. So we are worthy. We are worthy. And this gift of healing is not based on your worthiness, how good you are. It's not based on your works, how much you do or don't do. It is based on Jesus' works and what Jesus has finished, what he's accomplished. So I'm going to read an email right now that I got a, a while ago. And when I read this, it just knocked the wind out of me. And it's basically this lie about unworthiness. And I'm just going to read it to you, and then I'm going to read one more scripture and explain it. Here's the email. I am still afflicted with chronic asthma and bronchitis and have difficulty breathing. All I want is for the Lord to heal my lungs. Today I was completely devastated when someone who I look up to said to me that maybe the Lord is using asthma and lung infection to discipline me because I ate the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. Or perhaps he's using this disease to discipline me for my good. People say that. Religious people say stuff like that. Well, I want to address one part of this confusion where it says that the reason that the person told him the reason maybe the reason why you haven't been healed is because you're taking the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. I want to go there. We're going to read the scripture. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 27 through 30. Can, can you do it in the New King James? <clears throat> Let me read it first, and then we're going to talk about it. I can't get it from the New King James. Oh, thank you. You got it. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be, guilty, will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. Let me explain. At the end of that scripture, it says that's why some people are sick. That's why some people even die. That's what the word sleep means in that scripture. But, the, but then it, there's all sorts of confusion about the first part of it. And they say people take the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. And because of that, they die. But they leave out a very important part of the scripture. The unworthy manner that is being talked about is not discerning the Lord's body. So let's talk about that. What does that mean, discerning the Lord's body? To discern is to perceive. To discern is to see in a very clear way. The Lord's body was broken for ours to be healed. By his stripes, we were healed. The chastisement paid for by whipping from Jesus, for, uh, on Jesus, paid for our peace, was the price that paid for our shalom, nothing missing, nothing broken. And by his stripes, we're healed. Now, this is what often happens. When we take communion, when somebody um, is, is giving the, the elements of communion, they don't talk about the bread. They talk about forgiveness of sin, that's what the blood paid for. Jesus' blood was given, was shed. Blood had to be shed for the sacrifice. 
So the blood was shed, and people talk about forgiveness of sin. They talk about eternal life, but they don't talk about healing. Jesus' body was broken for ours to be whole. It was part of the divine exchange. It was integral in salvation. They can't be separated. Salvation of the soul, the spirit, and salvation of the body can't be separated. And yet, they've been separated in the religious world. It is taught that, that we are forgiven, but it is not taught that we're healed. We are not discerning the Lord's body. And if people aren't being taught the truth, if they're not reading the word for themselves and discerning the truth about the stripes of Jesus that purchased our healing and that it's God's will to heal, they're not going to receive healing. You're not going to get healed if you have lack of knowledge or if you have ignorance. Or I shouldn't say that. God can heal in any situation. But you're not going to be healed by your own faith if you don't know the truth. Faith is available. Faith, healing and faith is available for everybody. It's not one person here and 20 people later. It's for everybody. It is God's will for all of us. But it's only true when we know it and when we believe it. When we discern the Lord's body. Most of the time when communion is given, when we take the Lord's Supper, it's about forgiveness of sin and eternal life. It's not about healing. It should be about both. And many times people don't discern the Lord's body. They don't know that it's God's will to heal. Churches don't teach that it's God's will to heal. And that's why people are sick and weak and many die. That's a big reason. It happened in Jesus at the same time. It's all part of his passion, death, burial, and resurrection. They are intricately related. There are many scriptures. Let me give you two of them. Psalm 103, verses 1 through 5, verse 2 specifically, says, He forgives all our sins, comma. He heals all our diseases. It's in the same scripture. It's together. Here's another scripture, 1 Peter 2, 24. He took our sin into his own body on the cross that we would die to sin and live unto righteousness, comma. By his stripes we are healed. Same sentence. There's not even a period in between the two statements because they are intricately related. We must discern the Lord's body. When I take communion, I'm going to be teaching on communion in the next season. And I had never taught on communion because I, I love the Lord's Supper. I love communion. But there's differences of opinions. And I, you know what? I want, to, I want to come into a common ground with what the Word says about communion. So I'm going to teach about it. But when I take communion, when I take the bread, when I take the host, I meditate on what Jesus did when his body was broken for me. When I take the bread, I break it in half. That's not a ritual. I do it because I'm remembering what Jesus did for me. I break that piece of bread, that host, in half. And I, I meditate on the stripes on Jesus' back. I meditate on the brokenness of his body. I remember what he's done in me. I remember how he's healed my body. I praise him for dying, for, for taking those stripes on his back for me. And I, and I, I talk to him about it, and I, and I praise him for it. And then I, I, many times I stop. I take a long time when I take communion. 
I stop and I, I have specific people I'm praying for who he puts on my heart. And when I'm praying for that person, I say, Jesus, you took the stripes on the back for them too. By your stripes, Shelby is healed. By your stripes, Glenn is healed. By your stripes, anybody that's on my heart, I speak their name. They are healed, God, by the stripes of Jesus. It's a done deal. I stand in faith, discerning your body as I take this. There's healing in communion. Many times, healing is manifested in the process of taking communion. Then I take the cup. And as I take the cup, the fruit of the vine, I meditate on what Jesus did and how his blood was shed for me and how because of his shed blood and the sacrifice that was paid, I'm forgiven and I'm reconciled unto God. I've been transferred out of darkness and into the, the, the kingdom of God. And I meditate on that before I take the, the cup. So this lie that this man was told was a lie. Or at least it was a very huge partial truth. And I'm going to go one step further. This is one of those fear of God comes over fear of man. I was raised in the Catholic Church. And one of the things we always said before we took communion was, Lord, I'm not worthy to receive you. But only say the word and I shall be healed. I am worthy. I will not say that. I am worthy, not because of me, but I'm worthy because of what Jesus did. And he paid too big of a price for me to sit there and say I'm not worthy when he paid for me to be worthy. I still, oh, I love to take communion, and I do all the time. But I want to discern his body. Because if you don't understand the fullness of truth, you can be sick and die because of a lack of knowledge. So there is, oh, you don't have the chart, so I won't even go over it because I have a chart. But it's the same thing that's on your paper. What I did was I took, I'll just read it for you really quick. So let me take a sec. Everything that's on your paper, I put in a simple chart to see clearly God's view of sickness and God's view of healing and health. So God's view of sickness. Sickness is a curse. But this is his view of healing and health. Jesus redeemed us from the curse. God's view of sickness. Sickness is the oppression of the devil. But Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. Sickness is the purpose of Satan manifested. But healing and health are the purpose of Jesus manifested. Sickness is bondage. But Jesus releases us from the bondage of sickness. Sickness is evil and kills. But God's will is to do good and to heal. Sickness is not a gift. But God gives only good and perfect gifts. Sickness is not given to us by God to teach us or perfect us or discipline us. The word is given to us by God to discipline us, to correct us, to perfect us. Sickness is not given as a discipline because we're unworthy. We are worthy because of what Jesus did. And healing is a gift, and it's not based on our works, but on the works of Jesus. So, Father, I thank you for the truth. And I pray, Father, that we agree with you and that our hearts rise up in this, this holy righteousness that says, God, you said it, I believe it, and that settles it.
And we don't accept anything that isn't in alignment with your word or your will. It doesn't even matter what the doctor's report says, Hannah. It doesn't even matter what your body says, Shelby. What matters is that God is faithful and his promise is by his stripes you were healed. Father, I thank you for every little piece of evidence that you've given us along the way. Every sign, every promise, every kiss that you blow us, every little detail. I thank you for every one of those. May we keep our eyes on what you are doing, what we are seeing, and not on the stuff that is trying to confuse us. Father, thank you that you have it all planned out, and it's good. It is very good. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen.